What you're about to listen to may include some potty talk. Then again, it may not. I hope it does, though. It's Wednesday, December 4th, 2018. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The president tweeted another warning to China saying, I am a tariff man. Tariff man? Tariff man does whatever a tariff man can, spins a web of deceit and lies, brings about the Oshawa GM plant's demise. Oh, crap. Here comes tariff man. His trade policies are so absurd, but he has links to Victor Vexelberg. He don't care. He is tariff man. But 3.5% GDP growth is pretty good for this nation. Would have been closer to four, according to the Tax Foundation. Tariff man, tariff man, does he have a real economic plan? Causes soybeans to go unsold, only cares about the Mueller probe, never admits defeat, manufacturing in retreat, all thanks to tariff man! On the show today, I spiel about how the bestest buddy of a deceasedest leader in the free world could be such a wookie wookie little boy. But first, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's possibly an alien invasion, who knows? Astronomers looked at the sky and couldn't quite figure it out. That is the issue. The adjudicator is Maria Konnikova, and she is here to play our first ever Is That a Spaceship or Is That Bullshit? This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. A few weeks ago, a Harvard paper gained quite a following when it claimed that an interstellar object, you know, could have been, they're not saying for sure, but let's just keep up with the possibility that it was an alien probe. Others tended to disagree, but I don't want to let just the scientists fight it out and sort it out and have Harvard be dragged through the mud or possibly as we fight, have the alien overlords come and settle the dispute for us. I will have the one interstellar, in fact, stellar adjudicator of all scientific truths weigh in, and she is Maria Konnikova. She plays Is That Bullshit with us, and she is the author of the forthcoming The Biggest Bluff. Hello, Maria. Thank you. Thank you for forthcoming with that book, being forthcoming. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. So when I heard this, it was in my Twitter feed, whatever the news of the day was, most of the people were reacting like, yeah, 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 this thing that's supposed to kill us on Earth. How come no one's paying attention to this interstellar alien probe? To which I said, it's probably not an alien probe, but is it? What's the proof that it's an alien probe? What is this thing? So that's exactly what I asked myself when I started reading this. I know nothing about astronomy. So for me, this was just a complete new area of research. So first, my first area of research is how the hell do we pronounce this thing? Mm -hmm. Um, And... I've heard from some credible sources um, that it's Omaumau. Omaumau. Yeah, so... Because I guess it was spotted by Hawaiian laboratory and... Exactly. It's Hawaiian for scout. Mm -hmm. And normally you name 
stellar objects, interstellar objects, by where they're spotted. Okay. So, so, there so was, this, this was the Pan Stars Telescope in Hawaii. Yes, exactly, Excellent. exactly. And it was actually spotted over a year ago on October nineteenth, twenty seventeen. Right. So, so this thing was around for a while, but hadn't really garnered much attention because mm-hmm. at first people thought that it was either a comet or an asteroid, and then when we started looking more closely. It seemed to defy the behaviors of those two objects. And so people are like, oh, it's something else. It's, it's a, a defiant third. asteroid. Yes, yes, exactly. It's, it's a naughty asteroid. Exactly. Exactly. It's something that we haven't seen before. Unfortunately, when it was spotted, it was mm-hmm. already on its way out. Oh, so the aliens got all the information they needed. And we're leaving. Exactly. The aliens had probed us, and we yeah. had barely spotted it when it was already. That's how you know it's a good probe. Yes, yeah. exactly. How big was it? It was actually pretty big. Yeah. But it was a, had a really, really weird height to width ratio. So it's it's way too elongated for most of the things that we normally see. Yeah. And it's moving very, very quickly. And there are other anomalies about it that are enumerated by scientists in Tell these me. papers, which is why they posited that it may be an alien probe. Sure. You got to always have right. that out there as a possibility. Right. So first of all, the paper is called, Could Solar Radiation Pressure Explain Omaomao's Peculiar Acceleration? Mm-hmm. So let's just focus on the name for one second to to say that this actually is about why it's moving in the way that it is. It's about solar radiation pressure. And so even it's not a paper that is called Is This an Alien Probe? I um, <laughs> don't want to be laughed out of. And that was and, and that was not the intent of the paper. There's I found the one sentence that talks about it potentially being an alien probe, which comes at the end when yeah. it talks about all of the sorts of things that it could possibly be. Yeah. So here are the things that are weird about this. First, it's weird that it was even discovered based on our kind of on what we what we know about this type of the size object in the universe. So it means that there are probably many more interstellar objects than we thought before. And our solar system isn't necessarily representative of other solar systems. So that's pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah, they chose us. Yes, it doesn't mean that it's an alien probe. It just means that, hey, we don't know yet everything about astronomy, and some of our models might actually be in need of tweaking. So second, the speed. This is the thing that... um, People were wondering, you know, how is it accelerating so incredibly quickly? So normally when that happens, that's when people thought that it might be an asteroid because asteroids can behave like a rocket, right? That's the tail of the asteroid. So when it gets close to the sun, there's evaporation that creates the tail and that propels it forward. Oh, it goes faster. Yes, Yes, exactly. It accelerates. But we didn't see a tail here. Then it's also the shape is really weird. So most asteroids have a width to length ratio, which is at most three. And this pancake shape is really weird. Yeah. Because it's really long. Like you said, it's like a cigar. Or well, I heard I another, missed, I heard a yeah. NASA scientist describe it like an elongated index finger five times over. Okay, so a huge, long, stretchy. <laughs> yes. So an index so, finger with like a long acrylic nail. Oh God, that's yeah. that's a disturbing image. Much more, <laughs> much more disturbing <laughs> than an alien probe. Yeah. But yes, so that shape is really weird. Finally, this is this is my understanding. It's very, very shiny. See, I'm very scientific. It's huh. much shinier than normal objects. It has I didn't ten. Even know that it has ten times the reflectance of normal asteroids. Reflectance. Yes, reflectance. Wow. wow. 
Yeah. And finally, it's trajectory. So this is kind of what we were talking about with the acceleration. It's different than what we'd expect if it was just based on the sun's gravity. But there's no tail, so it's not based on that evaporation thing, as we've already talked about. So what is it actually coming from? And that's actually the essence of this paper that is coming from solar radiation pressure. Yeah. And that's what they propose, and they have all sorts of complicated measurements that I didn't really understand that make them conclude that, yes, it's probably solar rays. You're a brain scientist. I, yes. Yeah, I, I can't do <laughs> it. I can't do it. I, I mean, I even wrote it down. I copied and pasted, but yeah. I, I can't uh, – can't do it. I can't do it. I was going to pretend that I understood it, but my uh, shiny is about the, the extent shiny of my understanding. Good. Yes. Right. But it does seem, and other people seem to agree, that this is a potential cause of um, how it's moving, the solar radiation pressure. So I have a question. Um, how, yes. So it's anomalous, but how yes. anomalous are anomalous things in space? Everyone's reacting <laughs> like, we've never seen this before. I was wondering, are there tons of things we haven't seen before? Is this the first thing that's different from the things we've seen in years and years and years? So this is the first thing that's different in a while. Because, okay. you know, when you saw the first comet, that was yeah. really different. First asteroid. And we've seen lots of different kinds of those. Yeah. But this is definitely the first of its kind. And so people are, that's why people are interested in it. At first, people thought that it was a comet or an asteroid. So it didn't, it's not like right away it was like, oh my God, this is really weird. Yeah. At first, it was behaving pretty much like you'd expect. And then as measurements came in, as we saw how shiny it is, as we saw what the shape likely was, as we saw how it was progressing, what its acceleration trajectory was like, then it became clear that it was probably not an asteroid or a comet. Do you know how it transgressed the science to science fiction boundary? Who started hyping that one sentence in the paper that maybe it's Well, I mean, they kind of did themselves by by inserting it into the paper to begin with. Once you put that speculation in there, you know that people are going to, that that's a one sentence because Let's let's face it. You've got five pages of stuff that no one understands, and all of a sudden you have this <laughs> yeah, sentence. Maybe an alien. Go and ahead, the, read the yeah, sentence. exactly. Yeah. I will read the sentence. It said, "Alternatively, a more exotic scenario, so they call it exotic, is that Omaumau may be a fully operational probe sent intentionally to Earth vicinity by an alien civilization." Yeah, I like <laughs> so. the use of a more exotic as opposed to <laughs> alternatively, in what would be the craziest thing to happen to this planet ever. <laughs> yeah, so they have yeah. a bunch of explanations before then. Right. And what I, I actually learned a new term when I was doing it. So we know UFOs, right? Yes. Unidentified flying objects. But apparently there's also, and this is not, anyone who knows anything about astronomy would obviously know this, but there are known solar system objects. That's what the stuff we do know is right. called. And I never realized that there was something on the other side of UFOs. Yeah. yeah. Well, there no are your, known there solar are system your objects. UFOs, there are your known FOs, there are your unknown FOs. Yes. yes. There are your known unknown FOs. Yes, exactly. Yes. And so the former have the known solar system yeah. objects. So this one is previously unknown. The mass to area ratio is an order of magnitude bigger than the one that's in Omaumau. So that's kind of the... That's the single biggest difference. And so if it's accelerating the way that these guys think it's accelerating, then it's a new class of thin interstellar material, I'm quoting them now, either produced naturally through a yet unknown process or of an artificial origin. So That second one's the big, the big yeah, crazy one. Yeah. So it could definitely be natural. We just haven't yeah. seen anything like it before. And there's actually a chance that we'll have a chance to examine it if space travel um, will accelerate in the next few decades. Where is it now? How far away is um, it? Well, it's it's going, it's 
it's very far away, <laughs> but so we can't reach it as of now. But because of like, it depends on how quickly our technology right can potentially increase and how, and, how shiny we could get and, our ships. Yes, yeah. and um, we now have more uh, telescopes that are being developed that are going to be stronger. So there's one called the Large Synoptic Survey Telescope that's not operational yet, but when it is, potentially we'll be able to find more objects like this. Oh, and then I had one NASA scientist who said that it's probably not an alien probe because it's very rocky mm-hmm. and there are no electric emanations coming from it. So uh, those are also things that... But if they, if they had the <laughs> capacity for interstellar travel, wouldn't they also have the capacity to, you know, mask their emanations? Absolutely. So clearly yeah. it's a masked probe. Masked probe. Clearly. Okay. Well, I will say that Harvard has a history, though, of people who uh, sincerely believe in UFOs. Yeah. So there's a psychologist who I wrote about when I was writing The Confidence Game called John Mack, and he was actually in the Harvard Medical School and he came to believe he'd won a Pulitzer Prize like this guy was the real deal and he came to believe that um, there had been people who had been abducted by aliens and he pivoted his career to helping these people and to telling their stories. He was also active um, in the psychedelic drug movement at Harvard. Go that's another odd, story. Odd that those two <laughs> might go together. Well, look, very, there are many, many famous people who believe in UFOs. Former Secretary of State William Cohen is a big Mm. UFO believer. Mm. And when I was in college, I went to Emory uh, University. One of my favorite teachers was a guy who wound up being, well, a source of inspiration for the Heaven's Gate cult and the Hale-Bopp comet. They don't really let him out much anymore, (laughs) but he's still on staff, can't fire him. Still was very good about American elections and voting. Yeah. All right, let us talk about our umau-mau. And I will just ask you this question. Interstellar alien life form... Intelligent life has sent Umau Mau to us for some reason. Is that bullshit? Uh, that seems to be bullshit. And yeah. let me just quote Carl Sagan to Please end. Do. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yes. And we have no extraordinary evidence. Wait yet. a minute. Are you saying Stan Lee ripped him off? <laughs> Isn't that the Spider-Man credo, essentially? Except instead of action, of thought. Maria Konnikova is the author of The Biggest Bluff she was here to play Is That Bullshit for the very first time about a possible alien s- spacecraft. If you didn't listen to the whole segment, but just skip to this part, don't worry. We're not being attacked. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. Today, Slate published a piece that caused howls of indignation, barks of protest, and a thousand points of hatred. No, actually, Ruth Graham's piece calling bullshit, or at least dog shit, on the notion that George H.W. Bush's service dog, Sully, was a sad, sad puppy over the death of his client, got a lot more than a thousand points of rebuttal. It was ratioed, although every set of two numbers is technically a ratio, except where the denominator is zero, which would mean no one was retweeting you, and isn't that the realest ratio of all? Hey, you know who can't follow that argument? Dogs. And you know who wasn't grieving the death of George H.W. Bush? The dog. Ruth argued the dog was laying down next to the casket, which it certainly was. And dogs like to lay down a lot everywhere, which they certainly do. And we, the crazy over-emotional people who like dogs because they're kind and not horrible, like unkind and horrible Ruth, told ourselves a story that the dog was grieving. And then we got really mad at Ruth. You know what? 
this is so very human of us because dogs can't tell stories. I mean, if they could, their stories would go like this. Tail, tail, chase tail, where's tail, there's tail, 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 bark, bark, other dog, smell butt, smell butt, where's food, tired, lay down, lick self, stop licking self. Human take picture, framing my juxtaposition with this long wooden box, go back to licking self. Somewhere in there, a canine hero was born, the lugubrious lab retriever. Here are a few of the counterpoints made to Ruth's piece, quote, when you die, no service dog will find you because they only look for humans. You are a soulless ghoul. Now remember, Ruth's thesis, I will quote from the piece, this is simply a photograph of a dog doing something dogs love to do, lie down. The frenzy around it captures something humans love to do, project our own emotional needs onto animals. I will continue with the comments. Ruth Graham, you're a one cold bitch. Slate, shame on you. I don't know. Maybe that's kind of a dog pun, so we'll allow it. I continue. Funny that Ruth Graham still looks like a soulless vampire. Redundant. The Slate article on George H.W. Bush's dog, Sully, is so gross. Not only is it ableist. Ableist? I, I, I will say it's anti-fabulist. I don't know how it's ableist. But it totally degraded the connection service dogs have almost immediately with their companions, giving them the grace and ease to do things we take for granted. I don't think it's ease. I think the dogs are highly trained and service dogs do things we take for granted. Or is it the companions who do things we take for granted? Thanks for the service dog. I don't know. It doesn't matter because we move on to this tweet. Suck it, Slate. Slate tweets garbage take about Sully. Bush's service dog. They get roasted. The Washington Times actual, well, quasi actual newspaper. Slate belittles George H.W. Bush's service dog, Sully. It's okay. It's okay to belittle a dog in print. Trust me. It's fine. Won't hurt the dog's feelings. Also, let me quote from Ruth once more. Sully's being a service dog does not diminish his loyalty. They are living, breathing angels among us. Have to wonder if this was an auto-generated clickbait article. Doesn't seem like a human being could have written it. Nothing with a soul. By the way, we're contrasting (laughs) statements about angels and souls We're contrasting that with statements about facts about service dogs and angels and souls are winning. That's okay. But I want to quote from Ruth's article. Quote, it's wonderful for Bush that he had a trained service animal like Sully available to him in his last months. It's a good thing that the dog is moving on to another gig where he could be helpful to other people rather than becoming another Bush family pet. But it's a bit demented to project soul-wrenching grief onto a dog's decision to lie down in front of a casket. That's good. I've got to say it. That's true. It rings true to me. Earlier in the piece, Ruth acknowledged, quote, there's even some preliminary evidence from the small field of comparative thanatology that animals notice death and that some may even experience an emotion we might compare to grief. So there it is right there. Your obligatory thanatology reference. All the facts are there. All the evidence is there. Kind of makes me proud that I work at Slate writing true things that people don't agree with, in fact, that lots of people don't agree with, that's kind of Slate's thing. That that has been our thing traditionally. Lately, it's been a little hemmed in by considerations of who not to offend with hashtag bad take, hashtag garbage take, hashtag do better. I believe that if I showed the Sully Brigade, also known as the Ruth Graham, you're a soulless vampire squad. If I showed them a series of 10 photos of dogs and five of these dogs were lying down after their owner died, but the other five dogs were lying down 
having just humped the neighbor boy's leg and then licked their own vomit, you would not be able to tell by the dog's expressions which were which. In film, it's known as the Kuleshov effect. It relies on the subjectivity of humans. Many, many people wrote that Slate succeeded in achieving the impossible, uniting left and right against us. Yes, yes, but with facts and arguments that are sound. This must have been just how Jill Stein felt. I hate, I really do, that we retreat into our familiar tribes and yell at the other side, and anything you yell is fine, but anything that goes internal is castigated. It's a nice relief. This piece is a nice relief to that phenomenon. But to satisfy me, it couldn't be just any attempt to get everyone to hate you or to hate it. It had to be a piece that doesn't care if you hate it, but also raise good points. And I think it did raise good points. Who raised good points? Who's a good point? I don't think the editors today here at Slate thought this thing would blow up like it did. I do think they thought, well, there's an interesting argument that we shall engage in without fear or favor. Yes, journalism or skepticism over dog emotion journalism, which is a legit, though, niche subset of journalism. The article has been called clickbait. No, it was written with the intention of being read, but that is different from clickbait, which is all come on, no substance. And this article quotes thanatology. You got that part, right? It has been called a classic case of well, actually. Well, actually, I like well, actually, if it's actually done well. And it has been called unnecessary. Yes, because tweets of dogs that we pretend are people, those are the necessary things in life. Hey, you like to imagine the doggy is sad? I like to consider maybe he's just a lying down dog. Neither is necessary. Both are fine. I have to tell you, the mood inside Slate today was pretty upbeat. We thought the insanity was insane. For everyone who questioned how any of us can have jobs, we're all pretty glad to come into work today. We think that maybe Ruth's point has been more proved than rebutted. And the great thing is, who didn't complain? You know who? Sully. Sully does not care about journalism. That, of course, an embodiment of the classic trope, the dog that didn't bark. And that's it for today's show. Pierre Bienname and Daniel Schrader, just producers, are working on a co-bylined piece about cats who are frightened of cucumbers. It's written from the cucumbers' perspective of being used as a feline torture device. TJ Raphael, Slate senior producer, is plugging away at a four-part podcast of a dolphin who helped to swim her back to shore, but then tried to eat her daughter when she made it back. The gist. The role of Sully the dog will also be played in the film by Tom Hanks. He started out as Turner. He moved on to Hooch. Oomperu de Peru and thanks for listening.